0: Ooh, that podcast number 141. You believe I've been doing this for 141 consecutive weeks? What am I, crazy? Why don't I take a vacation? A vacation from what? People who go on vacations, why are you taking a, a vacation from what? What is that? I don't, I don't understand that. What is that about? How can you take a vacation from your life? See, if your job is your life, if you're doing what you love, if you're doing what you're here to do, if you're fulfilling your destiny, you can't take a vacation from your destiny. You can't take a vacation from your life. You do what it is you are here to do. This is why we're here. Every breath, every moment, every instant is precious. And it needs to be valued and used accordingly. Okay, well, enough of that. But I want to talk about something like that. I want to talk about payment payment and esotericism appear to many people as an unmixable combination in the same way that people see oil and water as unmixable things that cannot really be properly combined in many many ways you'll see payment and religion as things that cannot be properly combined. Let me give you an example. People think that if you're involved in esotericism or if you're involved in some kind of religious thing, if you're involved in spreading the word or helping people or bringing the light, that you shouldn't be paid for that. That's something that you should do for free. That's something that you should just do because it's bad and wrong to mix money or payment with something spiritual. Gurdjieff talked about this or at least uh, Ospensky told of Gurdjieff talking about this in uh, fragments of an unknown teaching you know it is uh, in search of the miraculous because said see how these people expect me to do all this for nothing they'll go and they'll pay this cab driver to take them here they'll go and pay this person to do that and another person to shine their shoes and someone else to clean their suit and they'll pay someone else to do this or do that but they want me to do everything they want me to give everything for free And, you know, Gurdjieff wasn't complaining. He was just marveling at our compartmentalization, how we put something over here and we won't allow anything near it. To pay means to give someone money that is due for work done, goods received, or a debt incurred. A characteristic of our condition is expecting something for nothing in a universe of law, order, and balance. In a universe of law, order, and balance, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For everything there is some kind of payment. For you to sit here and listen to this, you have to pay. You are paying with no less than the most valuable thing that you've been given, your time. Except that we don't value our time because we don't live with that little bird on our shoulder who we can turn to and say, is today the day I die? Will this be my last hour? And because we don't live with that little bird on our shoulder, we don't value this moment because we take for granted that we will live forever. And if not forever, well then, until we wish to die. Until we're so decrepit and so sick and so whatever that we wish to die. There's nothing realistic about that. It's imagination. It's sleep. It's the hypnotism of life. Because we are out of touch with reality, our understanding is wobbly. We don't understand properly, and so we we go through life staggering to and fro like drunks or wobbling like a top that's just about to lose its inertial spin and wobble to a stop and tip over. We're like that. Right knowledge is the first step in moving us toward a more accurate understanding of ourselves and our universe. Understanding is very important. But without right knowledge, we cannot understand ourselves. And if we cannot understand ourselves, we will never understand our universe. And if we don't understand our universe, we will never fully understand ourselves because we are integral parts of this universe. We cannot be separated from it, and it cannot be separated from us. Yet in our minds, we separate ourselves all the time. In our minds, we have these little compartments. So in our minds, we see payment is something we do to have someone. We go to the grocery store and we pay for our groceries. We go to the auto mechanic and we pay to get our car back. We pay our taxes and we pay our rent or we pay our mortgage payment or we pay, pay, pay all these things. But we pay not because we wish to pay. We pay because if we don't, they will turn off the service, take it away from us or not give it to us. That's why we pay. But the thing about spiritual matters is that we really do give it freely. And because we do give it freely, I will continue to give to you if you don't pay. And so, because we are so low, we occupy such a low rung on the understanding ladder of life. We don't know that we will have to pay. We will either pay voluntarily or we will pay involuntarily. Payment is required, regardless of what Ospensky said. Uspensky says in his sixth precept, payment is not necessary. Rodney Collin wrote a little note underneath that. He said, awakening cannot be bought or taught. And that is what... Spensky was talking about. He was talking about, you can't pay to have me awaken you. You can't pay to have me teach you. That won't work. You cannot pay and have the teaching. You cannot pay and awaken. The teaching is free. The payment that you make is multifaceted, but you don't pay to awaken. You don't pay to be taught. Now, I'll expand on that a little bit later for those of you who are having difficulty with that. In a sense, you don't have to pay, but you do have to barter. Now you remember I talked about barter one time. I said that barter is to change one thing for another. It's an exchange, really. So I've got a pair of shoes and you've got a pair of shoes and my shoes are black and your shoes are brown and I don't need black shoes and you don't need brown shoes. And they happen to be the same size and they're about the same value. So why don't we exchange? I'll take your brown shoes and you take my black shoes and and then that will be that. And we'll barter. You say, okay, and so we exchange, and that's a barter, and that's something that happens. So to change, you must exchange what you think you are for something else. The problem with us is that we don't know what else that is. We don't know what it is we're exchanging for. So it's something that happens, it happens in a sense by faith. You know, you've know, you got to believe that there is something better that you can grasp, that you can slip into, as it were, that you can embody, or that can embody you. If you believe that then you'll do what you need to do to move in that direction. It doesn't mean no effort is involved in self-development. Just because you exchange one thing for another, it doesn't mean there's no effort involved in that. The outer man fights the inner man. Somewhere in, in the New Testament it says, the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit. Well, I don't know if the spirit wars against the flesh as much as the flesh wars against the spirit. The outer man wars against the inner man. And the inner man doesn't really war against the outer man. Any more than the light wars against the darkness. You turn on a light. There's no big. There's not big sparks and a big fight and you know a lot of noise because the light was fighting the darkness. It simply dispels the darkness. And the inner man, when he starts to get the force that he needs and the nourishment that he needs, he will simply dispel and displace the outer man. It'll be a slow process, but it will happen. It's not like turning on a light, unfortunately, but it's like turning on a light with a dimmer that has a very long time before the light comes up, but it comes up slowly. So yes, effort is involved. We must make effort, the same effort you would make to swim to the surface of water if you were underwater. The problem with us underwater is, and anybody who's ever been diving knows that you have to wear weights, a weight belt around your waist to keep you down because the air in your lungs will continually try to raise you up it'll try and bring you to the surface so you've got to have weights on but it's very specific you have to have a specific amount of weights too much and you can't move not enough and you can't dive so you've got to figure out what weights you need and you've got to have those well unfortunately that's all been figured out for us we are wearing the weights we acquired them in life And now the problem is we've got to find out where they are, how the buckle is attached, and how to slide the weights off so that we can slowly begin to rise to the surface. Because if you come up too fast, you get the bends. And and then, and then the next thing you know, you're dead. So that doesn't work. Diving is not as easy as people think it is. And that's why you have to be certified to do it because it can be very dangerous. And people kill themselves all the time doing stupid things diving because they didn't pay attention to what they learned. And so in that way, we have to make effort. That weight that we have to get rid of is useless suffering. I could have said associations and pictures and negative emotions, but the truth is what we really have to get rid of is useless suffering. Because that includes all of those things. You see, useless suffering is the pot that that stew is cooked in. We take some pictures of ourselves and we take our pride and our vanity and we take our negative emotions and we take our associations and we take all our acquired lies and our acquired words and our acquired feelings and our acquired and imitated this and that and we mix them all in this great pot. And that pot is called useless, unnecessary suffering. And we've got a big paddle. That we stir very slowly and constantly all day and all night and we keep that stew cooking all the time that's useless unnecessary suffering nothing is easier than to suffer people can do that with no intelligence whatsoever no awareness whatsoever people can do that from the womb to the grave without ever giving it any attention nothing is easier than suffering everyone suffers this planet is a pain factory, a pain factory that cares nothing for humanity. Our suffering is an energy that's used by something else. Just in the same way that when you exhale, the trees during the day inhale that. That is life to them. That is air to them. To you, it's poisonous gas. It's unwanted. But to them, it's life. And they are exhaling the very thing that you need to inhale. Talk about symbiotic. That's why they remove plants from people's rooms in hospitals at night, because what happens is the plant, when it stops photosynthesizing, it starts breathing the same thing you breathe, and it starts exhaling the same thing you exhale. So it's not good to have a plant in your room at night if you're having respiratory problems. So they remove them at night because of that. But during the day, when it's photosynthesizing, it's breathing in your exhalation and it's exhaling what you need to inhale. It's beautiful when you think about it, and especially in a random universe that just popped one day and happened and has no creator. It's like, wow, that's really amazing how it worked itself out like that <laughs> without any real intelligence guiding it. You know, it just happened, and it's not happened as far as we know anywhere else in the universe. And we've sent a lot of probes pretty far out there We think maybe it might be happening somewhere, but wow, how did that happen here? We can't find anywhere else that it's happened. Anyway, so our suffering is used as an energy. It's an energy that's used by something else. This kind of suffering isn't conscious, but it's automatic suffering. And it leads to endless unhappiness. And if you look at the world, you will see that nothing is easier than suffering and nothing is more prevalent than unhappiness. Everyone has grievance. Everyone has a grievance. I don't care who you are. Everyone has a grievance. And it wouldn't take two minutes in a conversation for me to find out what your grievance is now. But you've got one. Everyone has one. And that's the way it is all the time. Some suffer if they don't get their own way. Even in the slightest little thing. If it rains and they wanted to go out walking, they suffer because the weather didn't cooperate with them. It's a burden to them. To some, suffering is happiness. Sickness is happiness. It is having something to live for having some reason to go on, having something to fight against, having something that defines your life. And let's face it, life is so broad. We have so many possibilities that definition is the only thing that helps us to focus at all. And so we define ourselves by our suffering. As said, people have very big ideas about themselves. (laughs) I love that. They have nothing worthy enough to be called sacrifice save their suffering. If only people would observe their suffering, whether they show it or try to conceal it or nurse it in secret. And if they would begin to sacrifice it, they would change their level of being and find themselves internally in better company. What does it mean to be internally in better company? It means to be with better eyes. We could all use better eyes to hang out with. We could all spend more time with better eyes. Think of the little mechanical eyes, the little negative eyes, little mouthy, repetitive eyes that you spend most of your time with. It's like, oh, man, we could all do with better company internally. People cling to their suffering, Ospensky said, and they feel that they'd cease to have a personal identity if they gave it up. And as I said, we define ourselves by our suffering. Now, we don't do this consciously. We don't say consciously, oh, well, I'm defining myself by what I've suffered. No, no. But listen to yourself. What's your story? Well, my father was abusive. My mother was a drunk. My sister wore combat boots and my brother wore a dress, you know, whatever. But we define ourselves. Our history is what defines us. And our history is a history of our suffering. It's not a history of our accomplishments. And if it is a history of our accomplishments, it's only all of the things that we overcame. It's only a way to frame our suffering to prove how great we really are because we suffered so much and we overcame anyway. Oh, I know. You hear the big sigh. Uh, Yes. Because when you start to really see what you are, you have to sigh. Your body must sigh. Because it's like taking a 100-pound weight off of a little donkey. The donkey will just go, oh, just to get the weight off. It can breathe. It can stand. It doesn't have to stagger under the weight anymore. It's the way it is for us. Just a little relief gives us this. You know, our body, has a, our body has its own mind, you know, and it, it breathes a sigh of relief when it, when it gets some relief. If people remembered themselves, they would not identify. That would make suffering impossible. So here we have the key. What is suffering? Well, suffering is identification. So what is useless, unnecessary suffering? Useless, unnecessary suffering is useless, unnecessary identification. Are you willing to pay that? Oh, yes, I'm willing to pay. Here, take all of mine. ah uh-huh. We'll leave it and we'll call until they call for it. And then suddenly we find it's just like that pair of shoes in the closet that you know you should have thrown out two years ago because you're never going to wear them again, but you just can't let go of them. You just keep, every time you go to throw them out, you go, but maybe, well, just, I, well, ooh. or that pair of pants, well, I, I could lose that five pounds and fit into those again. Yeah, right. When was the last time you lost five pounds? Well, oh, I remember that time I gained, t- gained 10 and lost five. Yeah, well, I'm not talking about that, though. That's not how you get into pants that you need to lose five pounds to get into. We identify with negative emotions, such as despair, horror. People go to horror films just to be horrified. That's just the most bizarre thing to me, I think. Wow. Not too long, it was Friday the 13th. Was that last week? Week before, somewhere. Anyway, it was Friday the 13th, sometime this month. And, of course, they were advertising for Uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the movie, you know, and and Jason's back, and Connie says, "Yes, this must be about the two hundred fiftieth time that Jason has been back." (laughs) They must have, they've got a hundred movies of Jason constantly coming back, you know, on Friday the Thirteenth. And I thought, "Yep, horror. We we love horror. We love despair, depression. Oh, how some people love to be depressed. Depression is like peace for some people. Their minds start to just." revolve around one little point slowly it's kind of like lowering their heart rate it's not racing anymore it's just depressed subdued heavy and they like that because that's the false personality's answer to peace is depression dislike oh my how we love to dislike well i don't like that well i don't like that why won't you eat that i don't like those why won't you why won't you go there i don't like that Uh, how come you how come you don't want to be around i don't like him we love dislike We just love it. Worry. How many people are hand-wringers? Oh, they just love to worry. Oh, give me something to worry about. I haven't got anything to worry about. Oh, good, I've got something to worry about. I don't have anything to worry about. It's always the worst when it's the best because I know that it can't keep on being good and it's got to start being bad again, so that's when I really start to worry. So it doesn't matter. Hate. Oh, how we love hate. We love to hate. I hate him. I'll never forgive him. I hate her. I'll never forgive her. Okay. And a host of other negative emotions that we cling to that we identify with, that we call ourselves. Useless suffering makes us unfit for happiness. Well, if you're unfit for happiness, what does that mean? It means you need, need to make yourself fit. If the bird of happiness is going to land on you, you've got to be prepared, because the bird of happiness doesn't land on people who are seizing in negative emotions and useless, unnecessary suffering and convulsing with the horrors and the hatreds and the dislikes and the depressions, and the worry of life. The bird of happiness only lights on people who are at peace, at rest, calm, centered. And the only way to be calm and centered, at peace and at rest, is to be separate from life, to be insulated from life, to be insulated from the insanity, from the terror of the situation, from the horror of what the world is doing right now, this very moment. They are out there blowing arms and legs off of people right now. They are killing people right now. They are burning them alive right now. They are punching holes in them from a distance with sticks that shoot fire. And all of their bodily fluids are leaking out. And they're lying in the street with their bodily fluids leaking out. And no one cares. And they're dying. And people are doing this to each other all over the world today, in different places, right here in our town. Someone somewhere is pounding the crap out of somebody else. Why? because they're identified with their negative emotions. So we're unfit for happiness. We pay by working on ourselves. We pay by learning how not to identify with bad moods, how not to identify with the little eyes that feed us constantly dislikes, hatred, depression, worry, despair, horror. All of those things are fed to us, by the little eyes, the little mechanical eyes, the tiny eyes that can't understand anything because their brains are so small, little pinhead eyes that haven't got the the power to think themselves out of a wet paper bag. This payment must be done in advance before the negative emotions hit us and drag us beneath the water. See, once the negative emotions are upon you, you're done. You may bob to the top for a breath here and there, but you're done until finally they let you go or something snaps you out of it and then you have an opportunity to get above it for a moment. But you'll go right back down under if you don't get hold of yourself, if you don't come to yourself, if you don't get a grip on yourself, if you don't get into better eyes. So naturally, we work in advance. You're not going to deal with these negative emotions when they hit you. You can only deal with them later after you have seen them work and then you set traps for them. And so when you hear the train coming, you stop at the railroad tracks, you look and that's not enough, you listen. So you stop, look and listen. When you do that you start to get a taste, you start to get a sense of where the train is. And you don't cross the tracks when the train is close because it will hit you and it will carry you a long way down the tracks and that's not where you want to be. It will take you right along with it, you'll be a passenger on the train for who knows how long, who knows when the next stop is. So don't ride the train of negative emotions. And it's a train. It's car after car after car after car after car. And it's a long train. And you may not ever get off, especially if you find yourself loving your negative emotions and sitting in the dining car slurping them down all night and all day. Oh, what's the next course? Oh, who can we talk about next? Oh, isn't it awful what she did? Oh, isn't it horrible what he did? And who does he think he is? And don't they know who I am? All of that insanity. All of that must be worked on in advance. You've got to pay for all of that in advance. You don't get a free ride. You pay for all of that in advance. So payment is necessary. That's the payment that's necessary. Ospensky said, A man sitting in this room, appearing just as others, can be in a quite different inner state and experience quite different emotions and thoughts from everyone else and yet show nothing outwardly unusual. I have been in a room with masters. sat in a room with a master, a guy who, was, who had mastered all this, who had reached awareness, who had awakened. And I was amazed at how small and insignificant he was. He didn't glow. As a matter of fact, he just sat there. He couldn't even speak English. So here's this enlightened being who couldn't even speak English. I mean, what is that about? And here he was sitting there and he had a, a wrinkly old brown paper bag. And if each person would come up to him, he would smile, reach into the bag, pull out a persimmon and hand it to them. That was it. And then the person would kind of go away. And the next one would come up. And I thought, what a crock this is. And I thought that because I had no idea what was going on. Now that I know, I think, what a stupid little fool I was. But that's the way it is. We cannot see very far above our level. We can see a little bit, but not very far. And he was so far above my level, I didn't have a clue. Not a clue. Now, I love the man. I can't even remember his name, but I will never forget him. And I will never forget that persimmon he gave me. And I didn't even like persimmons. That was another thing I thought. I don't even like persimmons. What's he giving me a persimmon for? Why can't I have an apple? You know? It's just so stupid. And that's how we are. You see, that's how we are when we're asleep. This was probably 30 years ago. <laughs> it was funny in a sad sort of way. This work is about reaching a better state in ourselves, learning what efforts are needed, what to avoid and how to maintain that better state. Once we do reach it, it's not enough to reach the better state. If you can't maintain it, can you see that (laughs) you've reached better states hundreds, maybe thousands of times, but if you can't maintain it, what good is it? What's no good at all? You just, it's like bobbing to the surface and then going back into the waves again Well, you can't breathe underwater. So you've got to get to the surface again. Wouldn't it be great to be able to stay at the surface and breathe. And once you could do that, maybe you could look around and find some landmark or something and find a direction that you could swim in to try and reach land because you're not going to last long bobbing on the surface of water if you can't get to some land because you're not made for that. This is payment. If you won't pay money, you surely will not pay effort. I don't ask for money. I don't ask for money because I don't need it. People need to give it. And if they don't know they need to give it, then they'll never figure out that they need to make effort. They're gonna think that it all should be given to them. Do you see what this sickness is? It's this mental sickness that, well, it should be given to me, it's, it should be a free gift, it should be just given to me. I shouldn't have to do anything. I should just believe and say the words and then everything should be all right. But you'll notice that people who believe and say the words and everything's all right, it's only for a little while. And then life goes right back to the way it was before, unless they make effort and they have to make effort every day, and a lot of effort, and the right kind of effort, or else life goes right back to where it was. And that's their payment. If you won't pay money, you won't pay effort, leaving you lost in imagination. This is not a better, but a worse state. You have to see that being lost in imagination is not a better state, that's a worse state. But you have to come out of imagination, you have to break the surface of the water and get some real air every once in a while, or you spend your life sucking on a respirator underwater, breathing compressed air and when that runs out what then you've got to get to the surface and get some real air and trust me there's a difference with the real air and what's in it what's in the tank you can smell the difference you can taste the difference you can feel the difference they have special mixes for tanks depending on what depth you're going to be diving to and how long so they have special mixes of air but the air we breathe that air that's for us and so once you get that you know that that's yours And the same thing is once you come out of imagination, you begin to know. Even if it's just for a few moments, you begin to taste, you begin to smell what is really yours. You begin to smell what's real, taste what's real, and you start to long for it. You start to value this work that can bring you to the surface, that can help you to breathe. And then you're willing to pay. Unfortunately, you have to pay in advance. Negative states seem to possess an energy of their own. Have you ever noticed that? Then you feel more vivid, more alive when you're fully identified with a negative state the times I see this is when people get into fights and they get all pumped up. You know, they get into big arguments and they they get all pumped up about it. (sighs) And they're breathing heavy and their hearts racing and they're they're alive, they're strong, they're powerful, they're directed, they're focused. And then when the fight's over they still can't turn it off and they think of all the things they should have said or could have said. And oh, I could have done this, I could have done that, I should have done this and I should have done that. And that goes on for a long time. It's very sad, but there it is. Once it passes though, we may see the jolt of energy was really a force of contraction of our whole being down to a few narrow exacting requiring eyes. Oh, it's like a hose or water. You know, throw a bucket of water against the wall. Okay, You you, you you want to wash your door. Let's say your door. You take a bucket of water and you throw it against the wall. But take that same bucket of water and put it in a hose and constrict the opening of that hose so that the pressure builds up. Put pressure behind that water and spray that focused, directed, pressured water at the door, it'll take the dirt off, whereas just throwing a bucket of water wouldn't do that. It's like that. The energy we think we feel is really that contraction, the same thing as when you contract the hose, the end of the hose, so that the water really can't freely flow out of it, and the pressure builds up behind it, and then you have that energy. But it's contracted energy. And you see, that's not the kind of energy that we really need and feed on. That's not the kind of energy that our essential self feeds on. That's the kind of energy that the false personality feeds on. It's an artificial energy. It's a contracted energy. It's a restricting energy. That's not the energy of the essential self. That's not the energy of the absolute. That's not the energy of the universe that we need to be involved with. That's like the compressed air in the tank when you're underwater rather than the free air above the water that you can breathe freely that doesn't have to be compressed. Once we've escaped for a time, we can taste the difference. We need to learn to taste different states so we can choose better states. If you can't taste different states, how can you possibly choose a better state? You must have something to compare it with. If all you know is negative states, you've got to have at least one state that's not negative, so that you can taste the difference. Maurice Nicole said, If you value the teaching, listen to it, and apply it to yourself with sincerity in daily life, you will get results. The work is not going to do your three lines of work for you. You can't make an effort for someone else who should make it. This is self-development. If you're trying to pay me to develop you, then I refer you to Ospensky's sixth precept in the fifth way. Payment is unnecessary. Awakening cannot be bought or taught. On the other hand, if you understand that you must pay for your existence, that you must pay for every breath that you've been given, that you must pay for any progress that you make, you will make payment gleefully, gladly and happily in advance and in abundance. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.